we cannot have an algorithm that's both polynomial time, so efficient, that both exact, that solves every instance exactly. And third point, focus on every possible instance. So whatever you fit to this algorithm, to solve it polynomial time and exactly. So with these three points, you know that you cannot have this simultaneously. But the next natural idea is what if we just drop some of them? For instance, maybe we don't want to solve the problem exactly. Maybe we are sufficient with some approximation to the objective function. Hello and welcome back to the Austrian AI podcast with your usual host, Manuel Paseka. Most AI practitioners, including myself, think of long-running algorithms as something that is caused by big data or poor implementation, and something that can be solved best by more compute. But today on the show, we will be discussing hard problems and the runtime complexity with Kirill Simonov from the Algorithm and Complexity Group at the Technical University Vienna. Kirill is talking about his research in algorithm complexity, and he will give us a taste of how to solve hard problems with, for example, approximation algorithms that exchange the accuracy or correctness of a result for lower runtimes, or parameterized complexity algorithms that reduce runtime by limiting the solution space. So be prepared for an episode full of theory that has real implications for practical problems. Hello, Kirill. Hi, and hello to all the listeners. Very nice to have you on the show. Um, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a very uh, theory-heavy episode. I think it's really cool. Um, I must say it goes far beyond like my understanding of many of these things. So it's great to have an expert like you today here and to be discussing these things. And I hope that we're going to discuss based on your research concerning, for example, the, pro the problem of clustering, which can is a very hard problem, different way how one can approach this talking about approximation algorithms, fixed parameter tractability, and all kinds of different things. Um, but maybe before we go there, and to maybe have like a soft introduction to the topic as well, um, can you maybe our, to give our listeners a bit like a background about yourself? How did you come to this area? How did you come to the research you're doing right now? Sure, sure. That'll, let's start with that. So how did I come to computer science? My master's studies were actually in mathematics, like uh, algebra and this sort of things. But my master days was already in computer algebra, so about uh, matrix multiplication algorithms, which is sort of uh, not really something that could be applied somewhere in the form as it was in the thesis, not in general, of course. Uh, but so it was like really algebra highway and stuff, but still, I already did this was step to competence. Also, mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of this uh, competitive programming, so competitions, like especially at the university or high school level, when you are thrown in with some tasks for five hours, then you solve as many as you want of them. And basically every task is some algorithmic thing, like you know, write some graph algorithm or strings or something like this, like where, where each problem is a very sort of succinctly formulated problem with just defined inputs, outputs, and then you do it. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so it was like sort of as a side thing for my normal studies, but I also was so quite interested in that. Also, we were quite successful in these competitions. So yeah, so it was natural for me to combine my sort of mathematical education with more of a computer science ideas while still staying mostly on the theoretical side of things. And this led me to a PhD in computer science. It was basically in algorithms and parameterized algorithms in the University of Bergen, Norway. But then also basically at the start of my PhD, my advisor had this question that's, okay, this usual paradigm with algorithms, uh, like time and time, space complexity, 
is usually applied to problems on graphs and this sort of thing. And we thought that maybe it would be nice to try to see some other problems of different nature, different structure, like this uh, clustering, uh, low-rank approximation, this sort of things. When the input is kind of more fuzzy than just a discrete graph, and then most of the techniques that's already known are sort of inapplicable. And then it opens a nice pathway to actually find something new and maybe useful to some researchers work in this area on the more practical problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's how it came to be that my thesis uh, was not just arbitrary algorithms for graph algorithms, but on algorithms for clustering problems, where we essentially exploited and elaborated this idea of applying sort of strict mathematical thinking about algorithms to problems like clustering. Of course, we're the first to do this, but we are sort of one of the maybe few ones who started to do it with parameters complexity. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to be a postdoc here in Vienna, in Technical University of Vienna, where basically I was continuing doing the same things, like balance uh, complexity of clustering problems, approximation algorithms for clustering problems, plus also some graph algorithms. Interesting. Then just for me to really to, to, to understand this, as you said, if I understood correctly, you started out actually from actually a very practical perspective. If you were said you were solving many kind of your know, part in competitions, doing yourself, implementing these algorithms, solving the algorithms. I'm just curious to understand because you said like you were drawn basically always to the, if it's not to the abstract and theoretical challenges and aspects of our computer science. Is this, I'm just asking because I must know like most people that I know that, like, that are doing or like, even like working in computer science, even staying in academia, and often have a very much more uh, ap applicable, practical approach. And I think even like in the focus and even in the things that they're really curious about. And I think like one of the easy or the good things about computer science, especially if it's staying now in the area of artificial intelligence, and nowadays, for example, a lot of it is very empirical, very practical that has been, has been, you were able to do. And it's like, say, compared to maybe some other kind of sciences, for example, physics and similar, but it's very easy to do some more like uh, hands-on practical elements in computer science. So I'm curious to understand a bit maybe if you can talk a bit about why is it for, what is it for you for example exactly like the the abstract theory part so interesting that draw has drawn you in this direction yeah i guess mostly has a lot with my upbringing because also even when i was talking about this uh problem competitions yes you do implement things on them but still sort of the question you're actually asked if you like sort of strip away all of the like implementation details and the details of the statement and so on is basically a very like precisely defined mathematical question like can you write them that will find something in a graph? I don't know, like a shortest path in a graph or like something more complicated, but still sort of well-defined in this mathematical sense. Yeah, so that was just what was I always doing. Uh, but maybe I shifted a bit from doing implementations of this to just sort of writing theorems. But basically, mm -hmm. it's the same thing anyway. It's like this uh, precisely given mathematical question of what properties of an algorithm I want. And... I mean, I also did some more empirical stuff as well, like as a side thing sometimes. So there is, for instance, this uh, base challenge when you have to write a solver which would uh, compute some parameter, like basically solve some optimization problem. But then you can also you're also allowed to not do this exactly, so like find an optimal solution. But you, there is also check for heuristics, so you can just apply arbitrary things and see what actually works on practical on the particular instances that you're given. So basically the same sort of uh, empirical heuristical approach. Yeah, but why? do like more or like maybe why I do specialize more on the technical research is that I know I like this feeling of having something that is like 100% true whatever mm -hmm. whatever you throw at it like you have some when you prove a theorem or like when you show existence of some algorithm 
you have a statement that's like 100% true. You don't have any you know, assumptions that are not given the statement out here. You don't have uh, anything else. Just you have a particular piece of knowledge that is finished in its own. And that's sort of beautiful for me. Yeah. And I was also finding that this work with empirical things, it's funny, but it's sort of, it's very one-time thing. You do something for one particular thing, you maybe find some nice way to squeeze something in, like uh, to squeeze as much as possible with these methods from this particular instance. But then what's what's now? Like you, you've done with your instance, but that's only one instance. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and of course, my university studies, like, like five, six years, I was like dealing with some abstract structures, in mathematics, algebra, Instead of things and yeah, this left a mark. I understand. Okay, interesting. Cool. Um, then maybe like as we already said before, shortly in the intro, right? Uh, as you mentioned already with your work in the area of clustering and um, different algorithms con- trying or solving um, the problem of clustering, I was thinking like maybe to build up um, towards the the concrete algorithms you worked on. I think it would be useful to on one side maybe we talk about. For our listeners, at least most of them know them, but maybe you can describe from your perspective really what is clustering, and then in combination of that as well, like talking a bit about complexity or like the how challenges those uh, those uh, problems really are. And in particular, I think it would be good to really talk a bit about runtime complexity. What is really runtime complexity? Some of its aspects, uh, like how do you even like know or in this way define runtime complexity and some of its properties. Of course. So let us start with a very, I guess, broad overview, like general start. So a clustering is, of course, very natural thing to do. If you take away all possible formalization of this clustering, is just grouping objects by similarity. So you have several set of objects. You want to group this into some groups where objects in a group are more similar than to the other groups, let's say. Uh, and of course, this is a very natural thing to do, and it could appear in many possible applications or even not explicitly in different applications, but nonetheless. Mm-hmm. However, when I talk about clustering, I usually mean some particular uh, formalization of this general thinking. Like it's not just that you want to group somehow objects to be similar, but you want to have some precise me- measure to define what is similar. And most of my work, let's say, and I guess in general, most of work about clustering in theory is about k-means clustering, where uh, you can imagine objects to be, let's say, points in equation space, or like vectors with real coordinates. And the task is to partition them into groups such that every group has some fixed center and the total distance from every point in every cluster to its center is minimized. Or rather, not distance, but squared distance of a point to a center. Mm-hmm. And this squared just has to do that in Euclidean space, squared distances are much nicer than just normal distances. So that's how Keynes is formally defined. But again, the way to think of it is just that we want to group some objects by similarity and we just have this peculiar amount of similarity which picks a center for each cluster and sums up the squares of distances to the centers. There are also many other versions. There is like K-center when you want to minimize the maximum distance to a the center. There is K-median when you want to minimize the sum of distances, but these are all just different ways to define what means similar. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are also many way more different ways to define it, but this is not so important right now. And again, and when we define this particular measure of what is a good clustering, what is a bad clustering, we can now treat this as a more formal problem. So we can even say that, okay, we have as input these points, maybe in Euclidean space, and our output has to be the clustering, which minimizes this clustering costs, how we define it, by the k-means in particular case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this way, we already come to something which is more like algorithmical in this mathematical sense. Like 
just as any other question, like given a sequence of integers, can you sort it to me? Or given a graph, can you find the shortest path in the graph between these two particular vertices? This is the same sort of questions. Like you have a very particular definition of what is the input, what is the output. Mm -hmm. So you can ask about some general algorithmic properties of this problem. And in, in a sense, clustering is also a, sort of a basic, basic building brick of many other things that you can do, I guess, in data science, this sort of thing. The clustering can be used to group things, clustering can be used to devise some additional labels to do some additional processing of some data set. Mm -hmm. okay, so like here we can see that clustering is on one way this particular defines optimizational problem, on other way it's some basic building block of maybe some practical things that work out there in the world. But sort of the not so nice thing about clustering and like other things that deal with this uh, sets of points, this like uh, inter real coordinate vectors, mm -hmm. is that most of this problem are computationally much harder than let's say simple building bricks of the other areas. So like uh, if you design, uh, let's say you, let's say you design an application that finds your path on the map, like Google Maps or something like this, mm -hmm. then to find the path from point A to point B, like you can always use just the basic linear time shortest path algorithm in the graph, mm -hmm. at least in, in, a, in an elevated graph. Um, and of course, that's not what people really do because the graph would be giant if you have like millions of roads and data sections and so on. But anyway, you have this basic uh, approach that is very simple and quite efficient and always forks. It's, you're guaranteed that your shortest path algorithm will find the shortest paths on 100% of the cases, whatever, you, whatever graph you will feed into it. So you have this nice building block with very nice uh, guarantees. Maybe you can still do something better in some particular cases when you have two giant graphs, but this is a very working, very basic thing that you have. But in this, uh, in our world of clustering or this sort of thing, you don't have that because if you want to compute this optimal clustering, you immediately hit the fact that this problem to compute uh, the best cost gain in clustering is NP hard. And now what does this mean? Because let's say to, to be more gentle, not throw immediately mathematical definitions. Mm -hmm. Please, yeah. Yeah, so like the standard, uh, how the complexity is basically that we started with this idea that maybe like you have an algorithm for some problem and you measure, can measure its running time. It can be the number of operations it does, like a number of assembly accounts in the assembly language or, or just the running time of what it is. All of these things are basically the same up to some scaling factor. Uh, and so the idea was that let us measure the running time of the algorithms. And you can also measure the running time of an algorithm which you define sort of mathematically if you say that okay, my algorithm goes over this sequence and adds something to the chain of the sequence, then basically you can, again, measure the number of these operations as some function of the length of the sequence. So if you just walk over the sequence, you will get running time, which will be like some constant times the length of the sequence because you will need to do something with the amount of the sequence, you need to spend some operations to jump to the next element of the sequence, but anyhow, you will only spend constant time per each element of the sequence. Mm -hmm. And this is basically the idea of how you measure the length of things, but of course, not everything can be done in just constant time per elements. Like maybe you have some subset forks in square time, in time proportional to the square of the angular sequence, or maybe like cube, if it's something really complicated, maybe the fifth degree of the length or so on. And the basic idea, again, in the start of this uh, approach to measure the running time algorithms was that, okay, let us just think that algorithms for which the running time can be bounded as a polynomial are nice. So let's say order of n, or order of n squared, this is nice. However, it's not clear that every problem can have this. And actually it was a big problem to see that, okay, there are some problems which we don't know any of these polynomial time algorithms, but we do know it's exponential algorithms, like maybe two to the N or so maybe like one big example is this Turing salesperson problem when mm -hmm. the task is to 
have a walk across this all, all the cities on the map to minimize the total cost of the walk. You can, you can see that it has an expansion time algorithm, but uh, no permanent algorithm is known so far. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is a big reason for that, this so-called MP hardness. So at some point, the people were thinking that, okay, we have this hard problems that we don't know how to solve permanent time. Let us at least try to think and maybe if we can solve one of these problems permanent time, maybe we can also solve every other problem. And surprisingly, this sort of helped that there is this giant class of MP hard problems where every problem is reducible to each other. And basically, solving any of these problems in parallel time would imply that all the problems of this class will be solvable. And the problems are like the sterilizational problem or this uh, solving SAT formulas. So given a formula in CNF, give me an, an assignment that satisfies the formula. And many, many, many other problems that, would, that are hard to solve in this sense. Mm -hmm. So again, just to sort of uh, finish this line of thought, this empty hardness is a... Uh, like, it's not a strict proof, but it's a measure that shows us that this particular problem is very unlikely to help in a long time algorithm. Mm -hmm. I understand. Maybe at, at this point, I think you mentioned very many nice things. Um, maybe I can give like a short summary on one side, like for our listeners, but as well, like for you um, to verify, say, for me to check if I really understood it. So, as you already said, let's start maybe about like, as you said, like runtime complexity. So, when you have an algorithm, we are very much interested in being uh, knowing something about like the runtime, the time that it will be needed to run this algorithm. And we are normally interested in this based on size of an input, on the based on the on 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 the on the amount of data, for example, that we want to process. For example, as you mentioned before, we talked about clustering. We thought, for example, if you know you have to uh, cluster one billion points, that you have some understanding of how long or how much computation this will need. And if understood correctly, right, when you talk about runtime complexity you are many ways interested on one side to have an have some understanding how, how how does the runtime depend on the number or the the size of your input and on the other side with uh, to some extent for example about the worst case performance because like the different algorithms thinking about thought because i'm sure everyone has already worked with sorting algorithms they often have like different runtimes like something like a best runtime average or a worst but often we care about the worst case performance of an algorithm and if understood correctly right there um, you can you can distinguish different runtime complexity but for our discussion i think as you said it's sufficient to talk maybe about polynomial runtimes and exponential uh, runtimes and um, if I understood correctly the important thing is for example when you think about an easier problem that would be something like to solve either by an algorithm in polynomial um, time then you basically say that the number of operations or the duration of this algorithm is in some way related linearly or like with some constant to the number of, of data points that you have that you're operating on where that where on as an contrast like what is a hard problem really it's some something that is run or calculate in exponential time would be something where for example you have a base for example two two to the power of n or two to the power of data point for example that's obviously much much bigger than any constant time n and um, if you understood it correctly as well as you already mentioned out we know for example that um, clustering is an mp hard problem so it's a an problem that is hard that uh, that that is uh, runs in exponential time, and if we if I stood correctly as well, uh, as you mentioned, the difference with the NP uh, P not NP being that like if you would be able to solve, for example, any of the or convert any of the NP hard problems to P hard problems, you will be able to convert all of them and solve all of them in uh, polynomial time. Is this more or less? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's alright. Just let me give us some uh, comments on what you summarized. It's correct. Yes. 
So again, the thing with this P and then P thing, it's that uh, really we don't know that MP hard properties don't have polynomial algorithms. We have no way to prove that. But as soon as you give me one polynomial time algorithm for any of these problems, you would immediately get a polynomial time algorithm for all of these problems at the same time. Mm -hmm. So like if you solve material cells, then you, can, you will also solve clustering, you will also solve uh, satisfiability and all of these things immediately. Mm -hmm. Sort of, yeah. I understand. And as you already said, right, it's a very, in many ways as well, it's, it's, it's not an abstract thing purely because it's a very practical thing as well. If you have, when I it correctly, like if you are able to optimize or devise new algorithms that have a better runtime, like for example, as like a typical problem like clustering, you, and obviously this can really benefit many applications, as you said, because it's a very fundamental problem, which is, has to be solved on many different, in many different areas. Yeah. Yeah, but again, here, basically, when we see that the problem is empty-hard, we just sort of assume that it won't be solved easily. So we have to do something else than just... Uh, yeah. So basically, the hardness just said that we cannot have this uh, very general building brick that will just solve everything that we throw at it in this like efficient running time. We have to sacrifice something in this sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, but maybe also one step back, you were talking also about this... Uh, so yes, yeah, so we're talking now about always about worst-case complexity. So basically, one that's on every input of length n, our algorithm works in the time, let's say, 5n or like 10n or like some constant times n. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not polynomial, but like some other function of n, but still we want that's to hold for every input. And this is again a very strong requirement of what we want of the algorithm because I mean it's not that we will need really to solve every possible input, but also inputs can be very, very weird, like if you just view them as the input to the computational problem, because one one thing is to have some set of points that comes from somewhere, and another thing to have just arbitrary set of points in Euclidean space. Mm -hmm. These are uh, two sort of different sets. Also, average like average time complexity also exists. Like best, I guess best case complexity is not really a good thing to study, but yeah, you can. But worst case is sort of uh, the standard of the of all the problems because if you can have worst case complexity, then you have everything essentially. If you know mm -hmm. that on every instance your algorithm works at most this time, then this is a very nice guarantee. You don't have ever to think what inputs can you give to this algorithm, but whatever you give it will finish in this time. So this is a nice thing to have. But again, as you were saying, I, I don't only came to that, but yes, it is known that clustering is NP hard. This in this case means formulation, and it's even NP hard on the plane. So in dimension two, it's even NP hard for two clusters, but in high dimension. So yeah, we don't really hope to have some this nice polynomial time building block here as we did for the sorting or sort shortest path or so on. And this this of course uh, makes things more complicated because otherwise we would just have one general algorithm for clustering which would work in linear like quadratic time and that would be very nice but we have don't have this so mm -hmm. maybe just at this moment just one other thing that i wanted to ask actually because i i see this sometimes we have been talking now about what you normally call runtime or time complexity um knowing as we said like the amount of computation or time that is needed for an algorithm to run in addition to that right and this other dimension which is always important is like what they often call space complexity right so if you talk about a computer program how much memory really how much space will it need to do actually the computation in this sense i'm just curious um this is is this very different like studying and like um, analyzing for example the space complexity and improving the space of complexity of algorithms is this very different to the, the um, time complexity uh, yeah it, it is somewhat different but but it's also a well-studied area sort of so the first point that everybody is thinking about is the time complexity but second point is the space complexity so it's also quite well studied and like usually people for instance studies a 
giant direction of work of studying exponential prime algorithms with polynomial space complexity. Because like if you can afford to spend I know more time exponentially on the computation, you usually just cannot afford to have more memory in your machine because this is just not something you can do easily. Mm-hmm. I understand. But somehow, like for money, I think it's not. It's not. This question is not that pressing. So if you devise an algorithm which is sort of efficient in terms of time, it will also be efficient in terms of space because you can never use more space than you used time on the algorithm. So, okay. Because you have to somehow use all the space. Yeah. But yeah, in some cases, it does appear that there is also some interesting trade-off, or like not trade-off, but it's the question of can you minimize space while still having the same running time as you had. Mm-hmm. But I personally don't have that many results on space complexity. Let's see. Interesting. Then um, maybe just one small note uh, before we go to something else here. Um, I, I just remember like my study times when I was doing computer science when I was studying for the first time, and I found it very curious when you get like during your computer science studies, you often then hear about like Alan Turing and the Turing machine. Obviously, like the fundamental idea about uh, showing uh, computation, the possibilities of computation. And um, I just wondered you thought or like comment on this is like. I, Initially, when I heard about it the first time, I thought it's some abstract idea, and I would really think, okay, it doesn't it looks like a very weak type of computing engine or machine. But then, only years afterwards, I really realized that one of the powers of what makes this so uh, like like powerful as well, like as a computing engine to some extent, is that if I understood correctly, the Turing engine as a thought experiment to some extent has exactly these two attributes: com- time complexity or like space infinitely right like <clears throat> the Turing engine itself like in theory would be able to run infinitely long and has an infinitely long tape has an infinite space available to do its computation to understand this correctly first of all the machine suggests sort of a formalization of the what we think about computation they're not always sufficient but let's say from this polynomial versus exponential time this is good enough so basically every algorithm which you think as polynomial in terms of programming language it also polynomial on Turing machine just maybe with a different like powers constants. And now you can also, like the thing with Turing machines, it also provides you like sort of a natural way to measure the space and dying time because basically uh, whatever space you used on this, like if you remember how Turing machine works, it's basically just an endless strip of uh, bits when you can write, like let's say information zero, one on everything. And then basic, based on this information, you can have some jumps to other cells on the strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, it is like it is actually also a mathematical model of how you can measure space used by an algorithm because like if your Turing machine uses this many uh, cells of the of this strip on which it works, then it's also space complexity of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. It's one way to define space complexity. I understand. Very nice. But then maybe I think this is a good segue to like the second part of the interview where we maybe talk about some um, possibilities to, to tackle, like, as you said, like those very different challenges. Because like, um, I found very nice you sent me some recommendation, like watching and reading. And part of them as well has been an interesting MIT lecture that I'm going to include in the show notes. And I found what I found very nice about it. It had like a, at the beginning, a very nice summary about three properties of, of many algorithms or problems that we care about. When they talk, for example, properties can be a problem can be hard that we 
already discussed, for example, being NP-hard, uh, you can have an algorithm that is fast. So in many ways, okay, that algorithm runs in polynomial time and uh, it can be exact. And then um, part, uh, and it is as well, I guess, important for us as well, is if you have the three properties, you have a hard problem, you have a fast uh, algorithm or a fast uh, short runtime and you have an exact solution. So if I understood correctly, depending on, you can choose, for example, two of those properties to, that satisfy, that your algorithm is satisfying, and then you have different combinations of how to choose them. And for example, if you would be choosing um, to be a fast and to be um, solving hard problems, for example, then you could, for example, go towards approximation algorithms. Or for example, if you could choose like a hard problem solving it exactly, uh, but you have certain bounds on the, on, on the runtime, then for example, you can go towards fixed parameter tractability, if I understood it correctly. I think that would be if understood correctly, I think that's a good segue. And I think it would be nice that, that maybe you can talk a bit about like having those properties uh, exactly. Maybe I think we will spend time on each of these blocks about approximation algorithms and fixed parameter tractability. Yes, yeah, sure. But there is an integrated moment to do this. But let me just recap this a bit. So again, what does it mean that the problem is not be hard? We don't expect it to be solvable in polynomial time, but also exactly, which means that's all of these things, they always care about that you find the exact best solution to the problem. So like in terms of clustering, you need to find the exactly best cost clustering. Like no error or whatsoever is, is possible at this point. And also like the, the point that you sort of missed in your recap was that it has to work on every input. So mm -hmm. like this statement, the problem is NP-hard. It means that we don't expect it to be polynomial time on every possible input. But again, as I was saying in the previous block, uh, it's not really that you need to solve all possible inputs because like in the, here in this mathematical sense, all possible inputs, just all possible, let's say, sets of coordinates for the points or all possible graphs that exist on this many vertices or so on. And maybe like your actual thing that you need to solve is not just every possible graph in the universe or every possible set of points in the universe. Maybe it's a bit, a bit more structured than that. Mm -hmm. So again, the, the starting point, I gave it had this MP hardness, like it's very bad. So what should we do? Should we just forget about having some aggregate guarantees. So actually, no. The starting point is that we have these three points, as you said. We cannot have an algorithm that's both polynomial time, so efficient, that both exact, that solves every instance exactly. And third point works on every possible instance. So whatever you fit to this algorithm, to solve it polynomial time and exactly. So with these three points, you know that you cannot have this simultaneously. But the next natural idea is what if we just drop some of them? For instance, maybe we don't want to solve the problem exactly. Maybe we are sufficient with some approximation to the objective function. And that's especially true for this sort of fuzzy real-valued problems like clustering. I mean, there is always some error even in just how you present your real points in your actual finite space uh, memory. There's always mm -hmm. some error. And sort of, it's sort of natural that in this, like problems with real values don't really care about the precise, precise value of the answer. Like, don't really care if it's like, I don't know, pi or pi plus one millionth of of one so mm -hmm. it's sort of uh, it's by definition fuzzy and this makes it even natural to speak about approximation so maybe i don't want to find the clustering with the lowest possible cost but with the cost which is at most twice the lowest possible cost or maybe at most one and a half of the lowest possible cost mm -hmm. uh, yeah so this is and this whole area is approximations algorithms and basic i guess it's uh it's probably the oldest area after this that's just standard exact algorithms so like let's let's start people are thinking about this can we solve just this just exactly? Then, as people man manage to find out that it's probably not possible, the next natural thinking, of course, think about approximation. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of this polynomial approximation also dates back to like 80s or 90s, uh, so quite a long time. 
for many of these MP hard problems, for instance, we can just have cost approximation polynomial time. So for instance, Gabin's clustering does have cost approximation polynomial time. Uh, it's not so trivial, but it's sort of it's based on some linear program rounding and this sort of things. But mm -hmm. so yeah, there is some cost approximation to many problems in particular clustering. Yeah. And another question you can ask in this approximation is can you get arbitrary close to one for this approximation ratio? Because like one thing to have some arbitrary constant approximation, like maybe it's like 100 or like 10 or something. But another thing is to is that you device, you say how much approximation you want, and I will say how much of the time you'll need to spend to achieve this sort of mm -hmm. approximation. So this is sort of uh, the standard question of approximation after you know that there is a constant factor approximation. Uh, and here the things also became hard often because unless there is this uh, notion of APX hardness. So problems that are hard to approximate below a certain constant. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and clustering problems are also one of those. So if I if I summarize it here to understand it, like as you said, like some problems more naturally than others. Um, if you know that, for example, being a very hard problem and being computationally intensive are difficult to solve, one uh, they lend themselves to maybe find solutions which are not as exact. Uh, but are sufficient for the use case that you that you want to use them. I imagine, for example, as you mentioned, like the like clustering, a typical thing, for example, if you have some type of vector representation of, for example, users on a platform and you want to classify those users as belonging to certain groups. And then you said, right, okay, the best way the, the centers of those clusters are like atypical users that you maybe want to approach with some advertisement or whatever, then you not necessarily need a perfect um match for your data set especially because maybe the number of users are changing continuously or whatever but like you want a representation which is good enough that you can really perform your your use case if understood correctly then for example approximations algorithm um, are a good approach and then as you said like if an as well like in the best case you have the possibility to say something about how far are you off from the from the exact solution and maybe you can uh, find then the balance between as far as you off and how much computation or how much computation you uh, save by using the approximation yes, yes that's correct so basically now like if you now think in, in the world of approximation targets we have basically two sort of axes two directions mm -hmm. of and we can optimize like the running time and the approximation factor of this thing and of course you can also have targets which are only well-defined in one of these axes. So you can have an algorithm, which is a heuristic one. Let's say we know that it works in polynomial time, but we don't know how actually it approximates the actual value. So mm -hmm. like, and like, if you think about this, let's say, so there is the standard k-means algorithm for k-means. So like uh, the one from 70s by Lloyd. When you start with arbitrary clustering, uh, you pick some arbitrary centers for the clusters. You now, you now can partition the points into clusters. Maybe it's not the optimal clusters, but it's some clustering. And now you have this partitioning, you can iteratively find an optimal center of each of these clusters, and again, repartition the points, recompute the centers, and proceed until, until this stabilizes. Mm -hmm. Actually, this particular algorithm, I, th I think it's not, uh, like both of these aspects are not fully defined for it. It's, it's neither convergible in polynomial time, nor it's uh, nor it gives any precise, any particular approximation guarantee, or it gives mm -hmm. some, but it's not nice. But there are some ways to make it slightly better. But I think like today, we, as we said, okay, like today we are going to focus on, on one type of approximation uh, possibilities with um, core sets, if I, if I remember this term correctly. Can you tell our listeners, like if this is true, what are core sets and what is the basic idea about um, trying to th using an approximation algorithm like this to solve a problem like uh, clustering? 
Yeah. So yeah. So of course, it's actually a very interesting concept, which is I still find very surprising to this point that this can be done. Uh, so basically, and this thing is actually sort of very specific to this problems like clustering or work approximation. So problems where you have this Euclidean space or maybe like some metric space inputs where you care about some distances and so on. Uh, Second, so but like to go back. Again, imagine you have this input to a clustering problem. You have your set of points, which may be like you know, millions of points in the space. And let's say you know how many clusters you want. We usually assume that's you know the algorithm because in, in the worst case, you can just try possible variants for the number of clusters. So let's say you have this million points and you want to partition them into like five clusters for whatever mm -hmm. reason you would like to. Or maybe two clusters because you want to classify it as yes or no instances or some sort. And now a surprising thing is that you can basically just replace this set of million points by a very small subsample of these points with the property that uh, this subsample preserves uh, very closely the clustering cost with respect to any particular set of centers. So, okay, to, to give it um, to be a bit more specific, okay, let's say we have like k clusters to construct, and let's say you want to have it with an error of uh, one one perception. So. There is some clustering, some optimal clustering with some costs, and we want to find the clustering of cost at most one plus epsilon this cost, but epsilon maybe some small number, like maybe one tenth or maybe one fifth or maybe one half, mm -hmm. like this sort of thing. And the size of the corset that is known will be basically polynomial in k of epsilon. So if you want five clusters with an error of one half, then it will basically be some multiple of 10. So really, really not so many points. And again, the property is that. So you do the procedure with subsampling. This resulting set of very, very few points has the property that for every possible set of key centers in the Euclidean space, the cost of clustering of these sampled points will be practically the same as the cost of the clustering of all of the points which were given originally, which is which sounds like a very strong guarantee because like, mm -hmm. it holds for every every set of key centers on the on the, on the space. Just to summarize it here, if I understood it correctly, so um, the idea, of course, that in, in this context of clustering, uh, being that instead, so if you said like you start out with maybe a very, really big data set with millions of points and you know, as, as, as this is always the assumption, instead of clustering, maybe that you know the number of um, centers that you want to find or like in the type of groups you want to uh, split those millions of points. Then instead of having to run over whole those millions of points, which takes a long time, what you can do instead or what this algorithm enables you to do is to only need a small subset for throwing numbers, maybe thousand, let's throw it for now. And then meaning that like um, having selected the right thousand points from the original complete data set, when you do then clustering on those thousand points, the, re the resulting uh, centroids that you get are very close, maybe with, with some limit epsilon from the, from the positions that you would have received performing the same algorithm on the complete data set. And by doing so, you're, you are able to like reduce the runtime, let's say, of the complete algorithm because you only have to operate on this small number of points. Yes, yeah, that, that's correct. But but in fact, it's even stronger. It says that for every possible set of centroids, the cost will be practically the same. So mm -hmm. in particular, if you find just the optimal centroids for this reduced data set, these centroids will also be a good approximation for the cost of the whole data set. Like, but, but this is only a, a, a consequence. Uh, yeah. So yes, in particular, you can just take any algorithm that you want to that does your clustering, and then you can run it on this subsample of points, which more efficient for any kind of algorithm, whether it's like k-means or something more complicated, or some cost-factor approximation. Uh, yeah, but also the nice thing about this uh, corset, it's not just that 
it allows you to solve a problem on them. They have some other nice properties. For instance, uh, these things are so-called composable. So if you have your giant input, maybe it's not, not just medium points, but maybe a billion points, mm -hmm. you can position it on some chunks, let's say chunks by 10 million points. And then you can compute a corset of each of these chunks and then merge these corsets and it will be the corset of the whole instance. So mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. by how it's defined, this uh, union of the corsets of the small chunks will have the same property with respect to the whole instance, which is also sort of a nice thing. If like, imagine you have an application you can't even store all the points that come to you at some place, you have to sort of parallelize it or process it like in a streaming model when you just have one chance to look at a point and you have to discard it. Mm -hmm. This is also like things when where this thing is useful. Another point is that this uh, algorithm, algorithm that constructs the corset is usually very simple, it's just some sort of sample. So it can be like uniform sample in a very basic cases, or it can be a, some like partitioning thing when you start and partition the space into a few regions and then you sample each region with some particular probabilities. But anyhow, this algorithm is usually very efficient. So it's like linear time and not even any hard thing going on there, just sort of some sampling procedure. So this sort of course of generation has this very nice purpose. It can be done by a very efficient algorithm. Like they, it can be parallelized to different machines and then composed back. Interesting. But just to, to understand it correctly here, because like I would have, I understood this, that, that in some way you're moving the challenge from the clustering to like the sampling. But, but if I stood it correctly right now, the sampling is actually not that difficult or challenging or. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the point. Sampling like this procedure to my course is actually quite simple. So. Uh, the challenge is just moved from the big set of points to the smaller set of points. It doesn't like, like, and again, to find an optimal clustering would still be sort of hard, even on this mm -hmm. uh, small set of points, or most probably infeasible. Because I mean, but it's small, it's still maybe like hundred points or this sort of thing. So you won't be able to just brute force over everything. But it gives you more opportunity. But but else, but also you have the cost, and the cost is that you now have only one possible approximate solution. For maybe it's not too bad for you, but still, like it's. We're not anymore on this exact ground, so we have some more freedom composed as opposed to this. And this is precisely why we can't have these courses. Because if you if we didn't have this uh sort of slack that we can sacrifice there to the cost, you would never get a statement like this. You would always mm -hmm. have to preserve all of the points to have the exactly optimal solution. But surprisingly, that when you want to only preserve one perceptional cost, you can drop the number of points very heavily. You can get rid of most of the points just because of the fact that. You only care about approximation. Very interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a surprising, <laughs> a surprising result. I must say. Good. I, th I think that's that's. Uh, I think that gives a very nice idea and, and understanding of approximation algorithms. Um, but as we said already before, besides approximation algorithms, we mentioned as well like other ways to to tackle those problems, which goes towards fixed parameter tractability. If you understood it correctly, can you maybe explain to our listeners a bit about what? Is fixed parameter tractability and how can it be used to us to similar as we, as we discussed with approximation algorithms how can it be used to to tackle really hard problems yes of course got them uh, so again let us circle back to this sort of starting point of our despair with np hardness so we had this np hardness we know that we cannot have these three points simultaneously solving the problem at polynomial time solving it exactly and solving it on all instances so we now like with approximation algorithms we try to go into second sort of uh, branch, we try to get mm -hmm. rid of the exact guarantee and uh, see whether we can have something not exact, but better. And going to the first branch, sort of to get rid of this polynomial time, which is also possible. It's like there are exponential time algorithms, but 
it's sort of uh, like as a concept, it's not so like uh, interesting immediately because like you just allow yourself to run in time, which is larger than polynomial. So, mm-hmm. but the interesting thing happened when you try to go in the third branch when you say that okay, I don't really want to solve this on all instances, but on what instances would I like to solve the problem? And this is the starting question of this parameterized complexity. By now, like actually, this is sort of I would say this is sort of my main field. Of course, I also work with approximation, but sort of parameterized complexity is where I come from in some sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, by now, there's sort of a well-established field. It started like later than approximation. So in the, essentially in the 90s, there were the first works by Down and Ferros on this sort of thing. But the idea is really simple. It, like the idea was that okay, we have this MP hardness, we cannot solve the problem in polynomial time for everything. But let us try to sort of parameterize this space of all possible instances. Let us introduce some parameter that would sort of measure how hard is the instance. Mm-hmm. For instance, like, like uh, abstractly, this sounds a bit complicated, but okay, let's let's think about uh, graph problems. So mm-hmm. like, uh, let's say you have a graph and you want to find a so-called vertex cover in the graph. So a set of vertices that cover all of the edges of the graph. And like in real world, this can be seen as, as placement of some repair stations that look over the particular road segments or network segments or so on, like railroad stations, which would be such that every segment of the railroad is attached to some station and so on. But anyhow, like this is a very basic problem in graphs. And the thing is that in general, this problem is MP hard. You again cannot find anything in polynomial time unless P is equal to MP. But if you know that you have only very few stations, let's say, like let's say you have a giant graph with million vertices, but you only need to place 10 stations in there. Mm-hmm. Actually, the problem turns out to be much easier. For instance, there is a very straightforward algorithm to just try to guess where the stations are located. So we just branch over where each station gets, and thus we'll have an algorithm to run in time basically n to the number of stations. And if the number of stations is bounded by a constant, then we have a polynomial time algorithm that solves the problem. Mm-hmm. So actually, one could go even better because this sort of n to the number of stations and to the parameter running time is not the best that we can have. The thing is that parameter complexity introduces this distinction between two different kinds of uh, parameterized algorithms. One is like this n to the parameter, and the other is like just some function of the parameter times some fixed polynomial in n. So basically, it can be like two to the number of stations times, let's say, linear in n. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be much better because essentially, if you have this n to the n to the k n to the number of stations running time, it would be median to the 10 if you were to place 10 stations in the median large graph. But if you have this sort of the running time of the second sort, which is actually what is called fixed parameter tractable algorithms, the running time of sort function of the parameter times some polynomial in n, that will give an algorithm with running time basically 2 to the 10 times median, which is like not so good, but still much better than median to the 10. Mm-hmm. Just to summarize it, if I understood correctly, uh, in in the example that you gave, like um, for for example a big network uh, and and selecting a set of n points from it, uh, so initially, if you for example have something like a vertex cover, like uh, you would, as you said, like have an exponential runtime on the number, for example, of edges or vertices in in the in this graph. Yeah. But like with this parameterized complexity version, it's like it's bounded or it's like the, the limiting factor in many ways is if you understood it correctly, the number of stations, the number of uh, of vertices you want to select. Yeah, yeah. So again, if you think about this problem without limiting anything, you will just, the best thing you will have would be this like two to the N or maybe like 1.4 to the N exponential mm-hmm. time algorithm that would work for every case. But then if you know that your number of stations is small, then you can have a much better thing because this 1.4 to the million will still be an impossible running time. But 
now that you have sort of structured your space of instances, you now say, I only work with instances which have this few number of stations to place, then you can have something much better. Like instead of this constant to the median running time, you'll get just some 1.8, so like 1.5 to the 10, which is number of stations, and then just some normal polynomial running time afterwards, which and just, will be even linear in this case. And and just one thing to clarify, so, but the problem itself doesn't change. So, because like, as you said, like in the unmodified version, you want a, a vertex coverage or you want a sub-selection of vertices that touch all the edges. In this example that you're describing now, is it the same? Or yeah, do you yeah. the problem is exactly the same. It's just that's... So there could be no solution as well, like for the number of, of, of vertices that you that you restrict yourself, because you're basically to some extent let's restrict the search space to to for example only to those selections that could be for example uh, yeah ten. Of course, of course, if the actual vertex cover uh, if actual smart smart cover is giant in this case, then this particular algorithm will be of no use because again, uh, the fact that you have this uh, two to the k or like two to, like one point four five to the k. Will not help you if the k is just just the size of the instance. Mm -hmm. But if you know that your thing is small enough, or if you can guess that your number of stations to put is small enough, then then you're in the wind with this sort of approach. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, but this sort of measuring only the size of the solution is not, of course, the only thing that one can do. Like uh, this is just a very straightforward thing that you can think in the first place. Like what if the number of stations to put is small? Of course, there are many other things to go on and. In this photograph algorithms, there are many, many parameters of the graphs themselves that can be used to achieve um, nice experimental algorithms. So usually it's some parameters that measure how complicated is the graph itself, like how it's similar to a tree or to a clique or to some other simple thing on which we can do this efficiently. Yeah, and of course, I will not go into definitions of any of this, but yeah, basically, there are many, 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 many ways to define what is the simple instance, and it all has to do with some parameter that we sort of agree on what, what is this parameter. And then as this parameter grows, we'll have a worse and worse and worse running time, but as soon as the parameter is not too big, the running time will be really nice. So again, in the general case, if our parameter will be as large as n maybe, and thus we will have just the normal exponential time algorithm, but as we go into the subspace of smaller and smaller values of the parameter, our Expansion algorithm will be more and more efficient as a most mm -hmm. general expansion term algorithm. And can you, by any chance, um, during the approximation algorithm, I think it was very practical and understandable um, the benefits of, of a system like this. And as you said, like I think most of us have experience with a clustering algorithm. Can you can you give us maybe an example of where this type of uh, parameterized complexity has been successfully applied as well, like in like in improving runtimes of uh, algorithms and problems? Uh, sort of, yes. I mean, it's not uh, as easy to sort of <laughs> give particular examples. But, but again, like this example with train stations, it's, it's essentially what it is. Like you want to, I think this example actually occurs somewhere in your life, at least that's what uh, Michael Fellows was usually talking about in, this, in his lectures. Mm -hmm. uh, so they like, they, like how they came to, they actually did some particular, particular task for science, some particular stations, some particular map. And they find it that's like sort of normal algorithms don't do anything in this case. Like you can, like approximations was also not too good. Like, because I mean, if you have 10 stations, then approximation will give you like 20 stations to place, but maybe you don't have 20 stations to place in the, mm -hmm. to start with. So it's like, yeah, and this, this is basically how they came to this thing that maybe you can use this fact that the number of stations is much smaller than the number of nodes in a graph in total to give better algorithms. Mm -hmm. But also like, Another way in how this could be helpful is that basically this gives you a sort of a 
nicely graduated uh, distance to some basic instance that you can definitely solve. So maybe you use somewhere some sort of subroutine that works in polynomial time for some very specific set of instances, but introducing some parameter might sort of lift you up for a few steps above these things. Mm-hmm. I've been doing some actual software developer work at some point. We were solving some application problem, which I won't give any details on, but sort of, yeah. And the thing is, like when you do this sort of, you try to solve some potential problem, you try to do maybe some local search, maybe some other things. So you start with some solution and you try to change it a bit to make a better solution. And maybe mm-hmm. your change is like you swap two things at the same time, or like maybe you swap three things at the same time. And here, like the price lexicon comes in a shape of, you can try to go from swapping any two things at a time to swapping several things at a time. And if the suitable problem will be fixed and tractable, which it was in our case, then you get basically a, a sort of a more general approach to doing this local search by swapping not two, but several objects at the same time. Mm-hmm. But again, like the point is that it's really subtle how it may come into particular things, but the general idea that instead of just having simple and complicated, you can have this sort of graduation between simple and complicated is very nice, I think. And do understand as well, like when we talked about the approximation algorithm, for example, you talked about an epsilon, so the amount of error that you're basically performing. And and if understood the prior is that you can some way, you can play with this error and let's say indirectly by allowing for more error, you you reduce your runtime. Um, is there so there's something similar in fixed parameter tractability that let's say that you uh, or is this as you said like depending on your problem domain, you already know exactly that for example you can choose only eleven stations or something, and then this is you get the maximum um, reduction in runtime. Or is there as way like some some way to tune um, or to or to to change the effect. Uh, so here it's a bit more subtle, of course, because again, in, in principle, we're still working in this paradigm where we have to solve everything exactly, so we don't get anything mm, to tweak okay. on this side. Uh, but like really the options that we can have, it's for instance, like there are many different parameters that you can think of. And maybe like uh, with this number of stages, it looks as it's sort of fixed, but really in reality, many of the parameters are related to the graph structure. And then like you may look at your network and see, okay, this particular parameter, which is let's say three bits, which measures how VSML to the tree is large enough. But what about this parameter click, which measures how sort of click like we are? So every particular algorithm with every particular parameter is sort of fixed. Like you know that if you have an instance with let's say three bits k, then you have this two to the k running time algorithm, and you usually cannot go below. You know that this is sort of what it should be. You you know that it's tight in terms of running time, but you usually have several different to choose from. So in this in, in a sort of tuning front, the thing would really be to choose the right parameter for, mm-hmm. let's say, for your instance, maybe. But also to go also a bit next in our discussion, uh, actually, like a very sort of developing area is the this uh, amalgamation of parameterization and approximation. So, algorithm that both parameterize and approximate. Mm-hmm. And in constraint, this is a very natural thing because usually you can start with this very basic parameter, which is the number of clusters. So, you just say that instances where there are not too many clusters are sort of easy. Uh, and as I was saying, it is in the exact version still MP hard even for two clusters. So just limiting number of clusters doesn't give you any benefit immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you allow yourself both to limit the number of clusters and to have some approximation error, then you have quite strong results, which produce you text parameter algorithms, which do this one perception approximation. Mm-hmm. So basically, and courses are also a way to obtain this kind of algorithms, like in addition to all the other nice properties. So for instance, you can have arguments with running time like 2 to the k over epsilon times some maybe linear in n, 
uh, which would find Ekenian's clustering, which is only at the factor of one plus epsilon to the optimal clustering. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that like combining these two in many real world use cases can be very, very useful and practical, as you said exactly before, because knowing the domain, as you said, like, for example, this says as well, like the number of clusters is something that to some extent uh, you have certain amounts of idea of uh, about how many they are you're searching for. And then, as you said, being able to to scale it uh, through the amount of error you allow uh, makes a lot of sense. Very interesting. Then um, looking at the uh, time, I think like uh, we have to move more to the end of the episode, but maybe like before we close, I was just curious to know, because you mentioned already, right, that there being already that, for example, approximations or algorithms have, let's say, been applied or have been developed and researched in the 70s. And now the fixed parameter tractability is something that came up in the 80s or 90s, if you understood you correctly. Um, from your perspective and uh, currently, what, what do you think? Is there... Are we going to have like new breakthroughs and, and, and ways how to, to tackle those and PHAR problems in the future? Is there already something rising up on like, I know it's I definitely, I'm sure it's a difficult question, but like, do, or do you think that's it? Like we, we have certain toolkits, uh, or certain tools in our toolbox. And those are the things that we probably have to continue to use, uh, in the future. No, certainly I don't believe that there will be new things. It's just hard to imagine what will be the new thing that we don't even know about it. Of course. Uh, but it's, uh, what is still very sort of open is this general idea of how can we explain that, uh, explain formally that something is uh, more easy than general case in this sense. So our discussion was like, for instance, if we have our general set of instances, the problem is NP-hard, but if we allow us to make something more structured, let's say have a smaller set of stations to place or a small number of clusters or some structured sort of graph that we work on, then we can do it better. So especially with the clustering problems, we are in a bit of a weak situation here is that, let's say we don't have, in terms of complexity, we don't have many useful parameters that we know of. Like in, uh, in the realm of graph algorithms, we know there are many, many, many studied parameters, but they are not very well translated to this world of problems where the instance is not a graph, but something like real valued somewhere. Like you cannot talk about some graph structure, or you can usually talk about some graph structure there, but it's not necessarily will correspond to anything actually happening in real life. And sort of the big question is how can we sort of take the things that actually work in real life that are like neural networks or like this deep learning or this thing and sort of try to explain it more and more from some formal perspective. So like, mm -hmm. or maybe explain why particular heuristics actually work in real life, but not just saying, okay, they work on these particular instances, but having some sort of a formal statement of at what conditions do they actually work? And uh, yeah, and most probably this will require some sort of new definitions of what it means to be like for an instance or for a problem that you want to solve to be sort of more structured than general case. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I think generally this idea of sort of uh, beyond the worst case complexity, so like beyond just saying that the problem is hard all in general sense, but to go into some tractable case of the problem, this, this idea sort of is everywhere sort of in the data community somewhat. So there was this, uh, I think it was both popular lecture and some sort of uh, uh, sort of an opinion journal piece by Tim Rogarten, which is titled Beyond the Worst Case Complexity, where he actually elaborates on what are the possible future directions of sort of circumventing this barrier of everything being NP-hard and too hard to solve in general case. Yeah, so for sure, there's a lot of things to be discovered there, but we just don't know them yet, I guess. 
Nice, nice. I can imagine. Yes, definitely not an easy problem. And like, uh, I'm curious to, 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 to see where things are heading. Well, with this, Kiel, I want to thank you very much. I think this has been a very interesting um, episode. And um, I think you did yeah, a very good job in explaining uh, myself and like our listeners of what options and what uh, what ways you can you can exactly tackle those problems. Thank you. Thank you so much. 